encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. Do all of you have a Bible? Okay, if you don't have a Bible, you can come to the, to the church and we will buy you a Bible. But most of you should be able to afford a Bible. And maybe you should also think of getting yourself a, a great study Bible, something like the ESV study Bibles. These are great Bibles. Because if you think of the power that we have in our hands, it's only recently that the Bible was developed. It was only when the Gutenberg Press were printing Bibles that people could have the Bible in their own language. Martin Luther fought for this. Back in the day, it was in Latin. Nobody understood it except for the priests who understood Latin. Who of you have watched that movie called Luther, about the Reformation? So there's a scene there where Luther speaks to his father, his mentor, and he says, I want to go to this seminary. And, and this mentor says, listen here, I think you must go because there you would be able to study the New Testament. Now think of this. They, Luther is saying, hey, I want to be a monk. I want to live for God, but he doesn't have the Bible. And then this mentor says, yeah, go. Then you would be able to study the New Testament. This is 1500s. But we have probably three or five of these. Gideon's Bible key that you've created in says. You have your mother's Bible, a family Bible. We have so many Bibles, but we don't. But because it's so common, because we are surrounded by it, we have it on our phone, we don't value the Word of God. So I want to encourage you, because it's one of the ways that we need to model the power of the Word of God. I don't read the Word of God on my phone at home, because I want to model to my kids that I'm reading it from, I'm reading Scripture. Because if I'm on my phone, they just think I'm scrolling through social media and checking what Luke's now up to with these kids. So we need to model a value for the Word. It's so, so important. I love it when I go to families' houses and there's a, there's a Bible lying there and then there's a journal and you could see why the Bible is used. Because children and people around you, they hear what you're saying, but they learn visually. They see how you model and what is really important to you. One of the first things that, that Eva did is she took our phone, one of our phones, and she put it against her ear. And this was her first word, hello. Hello. Because this is what she saw modeled in the Kennedy's home. What are your kids going to say if they lived with you 24-7? Are they going to say that you have a value for the Word of God, a value for God? Obviously, this is not the ultimate. We encounter God through the Word. It's not about being so technical about the Word of God that you can now give all the arguments for the creation, all the, all the arguments for why Jesus existed. Those things are important and come to Bible school for that. But it's so that you can have a better relationship with God. You will not fulfill your purpose in life if you don't value this. If you don't study this, you will not fulfill your purpose. So every year what we do is we put out different sermon series. And one of the things that we're trying to look at is how can we get people deeper into the Word of God? So this is that series. We're going to talk about the feasts of the Old Testament. Who of you have heard of the feasts of the Old Testament? 
Yeah, there's lots of feasts of the Old Testament. For instance, Passover that turned into Easter, that's a feast that comes from the Old Testament. Christmas, by the way, is not in the Bible. It's a, it's a newly created thing. And there's nothing, I don't believe there's anything bad to celebrating Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, but it's probably not the birth of Jesus Christ, the birthday. We can celebrate the birth, but it's definitely, or people say, it's definitely not the birthday of Jesus Christ. But it's powerful. Sing with with your kids, joy to the world, do it in checkers, do it everywhere, it's great, we love it. That was my audition for the band, thanks, I'm accepted. So, let's go to Leviticus 23, and I, I would love for you to take this passage, it is a summary of all the different feasts, Leviticus is part of the Torah was given to Moses on the Mount Sinai. And this is where one of the things that God says you must do. You must obey these commandments. So God's literally telling the Israelites, hey, I'm commanding you to feast. I'm commanding you to party on my behalf. Because it's important. In Acts 2, 20, or 42 it speaks of the first church, and it says what they, they were busy doing. It says that they committed themselves, subjected themselves to the apostles' doctrine. And then the very second thing that they did was fellowship. You know what fellowship is? The best translation for that is kair, Afrikaans. So we need to fellowship well. You need to party well. You need to feast well. And we're going to look at how, what this feast these feasts entail and why it is important. Leviticus 23 verse 1 and 2, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as, a holy, as holy convocations, that they are my appointed feasts. And that word for appointed feasts is the Hebrew word moed. And it was first, we get first introduced to this word in Genesis, I think it's Genesis 1 verse 14, where it speaks of God creating the different lights, this, the sun and also the moon, and then it speaks of seasons. So what God's saying to Moses is, he's saying, listen here, these seasons within your calendar is my appointed time to connect with my people you are not allowed to do anything else. Your focus should be on me. And three times a year, these feasts would mean that you would have to take the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Wherever you lived as a Jew, and you need to take your whole family and you need to go on a vacation with the rest of the Jewish nation to Jerusalem. So think of all the little kids, the grandma, the grandfather. They didn't have SUVs back then or airplanes. They had to walk to the, the place, the holy place, the temple of Jerusalem. And it was like a December holiday three times a year. Pretoria coming down to Hartenbos three times a year. I think my kids would have loved it. So these are the feasts that God then instituted. The first one that he speaks of in Leviticus 23 that's, that I believe is significant is the feast he calls the Sabbath. And we don't really think of the Sabbath as a feast, but it is a feast. 
And it speaks of the rhythm that we should have weekly. So the Sabbath is from the Friday evening to the Saturday evening. That's his Jewish, Jewish culture. And they had to eat together as a family and probably families. There was always community involved. When you think of your relationship with God, often you think of, okay, it's me doing my Bible study, journaling, and then I will get something from that, and then I will go and I will be filled up so that I can change the world. But when we see and look at the Old Testament, we see it's often a communal thing. It's community. So the Sabbath is a community. We together, we're going to do nothing for a whole day, and we're just going to focus on God, Yahweh. Because it's so important, and we're going to rest. So it's a principle that we can apply. That God says we must rest 24 hours in a week, we must rest and focus on God. In our case, you don't have to do it over Friday, Saturday. You don't have to be religious because Jesus became the Sabbath rest for us. And if we are in Jesus, then we have the Sabbath rest. And we, because of our relationship with Him, we can work from rest. We don't work for rest. We work from rest. You can always be rested. But you still need to think of your body the way that you are put together will need 24 hours rest per week. If you're going to break that principle over and over, you're going to destroy yourself. You're going to destroy your body. So important. And also, it's not a 48-hour weekend like we have. So you can work hard six days of the week. Don't complain to your mom or your friends, oh, I have to work on... On a Saturday, I can only take a Sunday off. No, that's biblical. Great, work hard. The kingdom needs you. So, and this is not the focus of, of this evening, but it's, I think, so important that we understand that we cannot defy the laws that God placed. And it's actually, it's ingrained. It, it's who you are in your body. So the first feast that we want to focus on is the feast called Pesach or the Passover. And it speaks of the redemption of Israel as they came out of Egypt. And what they would do in this feast is they, they would slay a lamb. So think of Jesus, the lamb that was slain for us to celebrate or to commemorate how they got delivered out of Egypt. So Egypt represents slavery for the Jews. They were under Pharaoh and they were subjected to Pharaoh. But then God removed them from Egypt. So now they are celebrating that this is a God. The God that we serve, Yahweh, is the one that delivers. The New Testament is Jesus, the lamb that was slain for our deliverance. And then after that, that meal that was eaten, they would go into the unleavened bread festival. There was a feast for seven days, and then they would eat this Passover sacrifice. They would eat bread without yeast, because yeast symbolized sin, and it will speak of God that redeemed Israel quickly. So they couldn't put, wait for the bread to be completely risen. They just needed to go. That's why they eat this bread. So it's such a, it's a vivid picture of each of God delivering a nation. 
Because one of the things that you see clearly from studying these festivals is that these Israelites, they had a short, say, they had memory loss quickly. They had to be reminded all the time, listen here, this is the God that you serve. You were in Egypt, you're not in Egypt anymore. You're in Egypt, you're not in Egypt anymore. Once a year at least, you had to go and bry with your friends and you need to be reminded of what Jesus did. And you would celebrate that. You were forced to celebrate that because it reminds us of who God is. Obviously, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus then celebrate, celebrates this Passover meal and then he had the Last Supper and that's where we get communion from. The third feast is called the Feast of the First Fruits. And this happened the day after the first Sabbath after Passover. So think of Jesus dying on the cross. So he died on the Friday. He was raised on the Sunday. The Sabbath is the Saturday. So the first day after the Sabbath, Jesus was raised from the dead. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23 says that Jesus was the first fruit of those being resurrected. The first fruit of the new Adam. So that one day we will also be the harvest that will come into heaven and we will be the celebration, the, the fulfillment of the, of the prophecy. Where Jesus is the first fruit, we will also be the harvest and we will stay with Jesus in heaven. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And again, at this, at this festival, they will take the first fruit offering. So what will happen is they would get the, the wheat together, a barley sheaf, and they would wave it at the temple. So now I think all of these people, they bring some sheaves from their first fruit. They just started to harvest. You're just starting to harvest, and now the Bible says, okay, now you need to go to, to Jerusalem to celebrate that God has actually started to give you some harvest for your hard work. There is fruit to your labor. The, la the, the harvest is not finished yet, but you need to go. Okay, so you go, and what you do is you take the first fruit, and you give it to God. What does that say? That say, even before you know that this is going to be a great harvest, you need to bring that to God. And you need to think of how can you apply this to your life? Some of you are so unwilling to give anything to the Lord. We're not even talking about the tithe of your, of your finances. You're just so scared that the harvest or the breakthrough or the development that you're busy with or the business or the salary won't come in. So you're so scared to give anything to the Lord. But the Lord commands the Israelites from the first fruits, the blessing of the Lord. You don't see where it's going to go. You don't know if it's going to come in. Hey, but you need to take out seven days or eight days. Come to Jerusalem and then bless me with your time because I'm going to bless you. And then after that, we see the, the Feast of the Weeks. In Greek, this feast is called the Pentecost. Have you heard of that word? Pentecost. And this happened 50 days after the Feast of the First Fruits. It was a festival of joy, also the festival of the harvest. So now 50 days after that first fruit, you now realize, wow, you actually have something more to give to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You came through. I gave you my first fruit, and then you delivered so much more, abundantly more than I, 
that I, what I expected, and now I'm bringing that also to the temple, and I'm celebrating with the rest that you are blessing my business, that you are blessing this venture, you're blessing my family. My hard labor has paid off. So I'm going to again take my family, and we're going to celebrate what God has done. So it's very much an integrated reality for the Israelites. It's not like what we do. Like our Christian feast is, okay, so you do Easter, but it's not really connected to what you do for a living. In Israel, everybody was involved with agriculture, so they had to bring something that they were doing every day. You were a laborer, you were making wine, or, or you were doing something with olives, and you had to bring those first fruits. You had to bring the harvest to the temple First of all, to bless the harvest, but then second of all, to ask or to tell the Lord, thank you for what you've done. So think of how you can integrate these rhythms into your life. How can you bless the Lord for the first thing that he brought to you? When I was younger, we, we, started, a, we started a business and, and then with a couple of friends, and then after our first sell, the first product that we sold, we said, thank you, Lord. We're going to take that, and we're going to give it to Jesus. And we took a flyer of the, of the product, and we poured over it oil. I don't know if it's burning, but that's what we did. We poured oil over it, and we say, thank you, Jesus. This is the first fruit, and we bless you with that. It comes from from the Jewish feast. And then we see the fulfillment of this in Jesus pouring out the Holy Spirit 50 days after he was raised from the dead. It also, in the Old Testament, it was to commemorate the giving of the law, the Torah, to Moses, to the Israelites, 50 days after they went through the Red Sea. So now, 50 days after Jesus was raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit gets poured out. And Jeremiah 31 speaks of the Holy Spirit that will come and it will write the laws on our hearts. So now we're not governed, legislated by external law, but we are governed by internal law through a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. All of these points towards Jesus. So go and read your Bible, go and study the cross-references so that you get to understand and believe in the authority of Scripture. So that's the first four feasts. And then there's a big break, so obviously the Israelites had to do lots of work, and that's also important. And then they come back on the first day of Tishri for the Feast of Trumpets. The Rosh Hashanah. Is that now correct, Erman? Erman said to me, this morning's pronunciation was wrong. Rosh Hashanah. Let's say that. Rosh Hashanah. And it's the beginning of, it's the, beginning of the civil year. And something that was quite significant for me, and that's actually how I got really fascinated by this feast, is... In 2020, during lockdown, the Lord spoke to us as a congregation to take worship to the streets. And some of you, if you would remember that we took a, a truck, we put a worship team on the truck, and we went through 
the all, all of George. We started in Pucklesdorp, Timber led to all the way to, to Blanco. And then two weeks before that, Herman messages me and says, Hey, Alma, you know the date that you put out just randomly? It's the same day that the Jewish people will celebrate the Feast of the Trumpets. And we would blow the show for everywhere. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. This is what you are saying. Because we were a little worried about what government's going to say. The municipality, we had to ask for permission. They weren't coming back to us. And that stage when Herman shared that with me, I didn't know if we were allowed to do this. And then eventually they said, yes, we're allowed to do this, but we're only allowed to gather um, 50, 50 people. So we did it. It was just those coincidences. How can God tell us to do this? And we just randomly picked a date and it falls right on the Feast of Trumpets. Beautiful. And then 10 days after that be the most holy day. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And it speaks of God's atonement for the sins of all His people. So what would happen on the Day of Atonement is the high priest. So think of this. So you're sinning the whole year. And then once a year, the high priest is allowed into the Holy of Holies. You would go in there to make atonement for your sins so you can be forgiven of all the nonsense that you did for the, for the year. And the Israelites, they were commanded to afflict themselves, to think of their sinfulness so they understand what's about to happen, that they would be atoned, their sins would be atoned for, that their relationship with Yahweh, the God of Israel, will be restored. And then once a year, the high priest will go in, make atonement for their sins, and they would be forgiven. And the whole of Israel, again, had to celebrate that with sacrifices. And we obviously understand that Jesus became that high priest, and he made a sacrifice. Not a lamb, but his physical body. That's what we did this evening now with communion. He sacrificed himself. Once and for all, so that we don't have to wait for a high priest once a year to confess our sins so that we can be forgiven. No, we can live in the presence of God daily. One of the most important things for you to understand of the Old Testament feast is the Day of Atonement. Because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom, representing or revealing to us that we now have access to relationship with the Lord. The very presence of God is available to us. If you could somehow time travel back into the Old Testament and you go like, hey, what are you doing? And they say, no, it's Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur. And hey, we're going now to Jerusalem and we're going to wait for the high priest to enter into the most holy place and then our sins will be atoned for. And you tell them, listen, yeah, we do it every day. If I sin, I just go to it. The high priest, Jesus Christ, and I get rid of my sin just like that. And I'm living in the presence of God. You go like, you are blaspheming. So that's why you need to study the Old Testament to understand what we're living in now. You have the high priest on the inside of you. You are the temple. You carry the most holy of holies on the inside, the very presence of God. 
It's not once a year. It's not even once a day. You are living from the presence of God if you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And you need to rewire your brain to think like that. So that means that everything you touch is becomes holy. Everything you, if you're doing your Excel sheets, it's holy. If you're making a bed, it's holy. If you're resisting sin, it's holy. If you encourage somebody, it's holy. If you're leading somebody to Jesus, it's holy. If you are addressing yourself, it's holy. If you think of the way that you can love somebody, that is holy. Everything becomes holy. The business that you do, the way that you raise your ch- children, everything's holy. Why? Because we live from the presence of God. We don't have to wait for a high priest once a year with funny clothing, go into a, a funny place to atone for our sins. No. Thank you, Jesus. And then there's the Feast of Tabernacles, and this celebrates the end of the agricultural year. It's a celebration again of the harvest. So think of all these feasts that come back to what you do for a living. There should be times during the year where you and your family, you and your friends celebrate what God's doing through your business. The way that you make money. Because everything is integrated. God called you to be a businessman. God called you to be a teacher. God called you to be an entrepreneur. God called you to do these things that you are doing for for money. It's not for mammon that you are working. You are working for Jesus and you're working for God. So therefore you need to take time out and you go with your friends and you say, Hey, let's celebrate. Let's party. And it's not only a year-end function where you get to Bless some people. No, it's where we get together and we say, thank you, Jesus. You are so faithful. And yes, sometimes you look back in the year and you're like, hey, God, uh, from a worldly point of view, there's no real thing to celebrate. But you still have to do it because this is what God commanded the Israelites. Just do it because you are reminded of who I am. And I'm faithful, I'm faithful. So what they would do during the Feast of Tabernacles is they would live in tents in memory of God giving the tabernacle, but also of them staying in tents during the Exodus. So God's again taking them back to the Israelites as a nation being delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, going through the wilderness into the promised land. But it's also celebrating the harvest. So it's interesting that God gave this feast while they were journeying to the promised land. So God's saying, hey, listen here, you're going to go into the promised land and there's going to be blessing on the land and you're going to do very well agriculturally. So this is what you need to do. You need to celebrate the harvest. It's going to come. It's going to come. And this is true for, for the New Testament, for the times that we're living in too. Matthew 6.33 says that if you seek God's kingdom first and His righteousness, everything else will be added. It It will come. Everything will be added. It is impossible to seek God's kingdom first and His righteousness and not to be blessed, not to have enough 
material things so that you can supply the needs of yourself and your family. I'm not talking about a Ferrari in the garage. God might give that to you, but just say, thank you, Jesus, and bless him for that. God can do whatever he wants to do. Don't judge somebody that gets a Ferrari. But that shouldn't be your goal. It's so much more important to live with a blesser than with a blessing. And then what's going to happen is because you are obedient, because you are integrating everything you do under the authority of Jesus Christ, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He's going to put a blessing on that and you're going to experience the blessing. And that's what happened to the promise or the Israelites in the promised land. They experienced the blessing. And then what happens after a while? They forget. And you also see some of these feasts being neglected. And then there's a prophet saying, listen here, this is what the Lord's saying. He's coming with his wrath. And you need to celebrate again the feasts. And you need to go back to the law. And they're like, oh, we forgot. We're just living in the blessing. So if you're going to do this, if you're going to apply this, and you don't have to become a Jew, you can just... Take the principles and apply them in your life. Don't go and wear funny clothes now and say, not Jesus, but Yeshua. That's, that's religious, and you getting yourself under the law. We are living under the law of grace, which is beautiful. By the way, if somebody tells you, hey, you need to call Jesus Yeshua, you can go like, yo, that's great. In Aramaic, it's probably Yeshua. That's, that was his name. But if my little Julia comes to me and say, hey, Daddy, Ammo! And she's struggling to pronounce Ammo correctly. I'm going to go like, oh, that's so sweet. I love it. Please keep on calling me Ammo. Don't call me anything else for the rest of your life. You can call your, your husband one day Boki, but just keep on calling me Ammo. God's a relational God. And sometimes people want to, control how God operates so we now control like you need to speak Jesus name in this way and you need to do this and you need to use Yahweh and not the Lord because in the Old Testament Jesus or God revealed himself as as I am and the way that the the writers of the Bible put it into words was Yahweh but they actually don't know how it's pronounced they weren't even allowed to pronounce it it was, it was too holy. So don't make your relation with Jesus so technical. Just love God through Jesus. Every demon that I've driven out, I've driven out in the name of Jesus Christ. And they respond pretty well. So don't be too technical. But look at the Old Testament. Study it. Look at these feasts and apply them. <laughs> 